Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. The year is 1979. The 24 Hours of Le Mans is about to begin, and luckily, it's a beautiful day. The historic track is drenched with sun and clear blue skies hang overhead as 55 teams kick their tires and light the fires for the 56th running of the endurance race. Considering such a picturesque beginning, few would believe just how vicious the competition would become. As a result of a heinous change of weather during the night, over half the field will either crash out or retire by the next morning. And those left in the race face a variety of mechanical issues. The endless rain would not make this an easy victory. At hour 23, Dick Barber Racing was in the lead. Their Porsche 935 needed to keep it together for just one more hour. But there was a problem. Something was wrong with the front left wheel. As driver Rolf Stommelin eased the Porsche into the pits, His teammate, movie superstar Paul Newman, scampered out with the crew to... Wait a minute, what? Paul Newman? Butch Cassidy Paul Newman? He was a driver at Le Mans? How am I the last to hear about this? How the heck did a pretty boy driver actor manage to gain the respect of the racing world? How did he start his racing career in his mid-40s, not only compete, but win? Few legends of the silver screen are as synonymous with auto racing as the late, great Paul Newman. Today on Past Gas, we learn about how gasoline ran through this blue-eyed icon's veins as much as any of his legendary movie roles. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about sports.
I just actually came back from Dick Barber. That's where I get my Brazilian. <laughs> You're Brazilian? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Brazilian, dude. It's a Brazilian. 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 <laughs> all jokes aside, I think we all do associate Paul Newman with racing and acting. I was going to say salad dressing. Oh, yeah. He's the salad dressing guy. He never took a penny from that. All went to charity. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Speaking of acting, though, that was great acting in the intro. Uh, you're acting like you didn't know. Yeah. Acting. <laughs> I think one thing that, like, I don't, I didn't realize until I just watched this documentary series on HBO about Paul Newman. And he didn't start racing until his mid 40s, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Like, that's huge. It's a sport where you start when you're like eight. Yes. Yeah. Traditionally. Uh, yeah. Or nowadays. It I gives me hope. Yeah, I, it gives me hope to become a professional skateboarder. But it also, I mean, <laughs> it also kind of shows, like, the, the latent talents that are just dormant in, like, probably everybody out there who might not ever have an opportunity to, to like, follow any sort of path into whatever they're good at, you know? Right, so if you're out there and you're, you know, a little older than you want to be, <laughs> pick up that violin. Yeah. Pick up that skateboard. Start yeah. surfing. Get some football pads, and maybe you could be in the NFL. <laughs> I tried surfing a couple days ago. How was it? Uh, I caught one wave. That's nice. Sick, and otherwise got my butt beat by the ocean. Your legs sore? Legs are sore. Arms primarily sore. Yeah. 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 I went jet skiing the other day. Jet skiing? Yeah. You guys are Where's such you, water boys. Oh, my skiing? God. I was jet skiing in Minnesota on Lake Vermilion. Lake Vermilion. That's a badass sounding lake. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty sick It's the lake. official lake of Slipknot. Uh -huh. <laughs> what it is <laughs> the whole town is slipknot themed that's that's crazy i think there is something to be said about him being an actor and being able to do this late in life mm. because actors are really competitive mm. and maybe he was just acting like he knew how to drive a car yeah <laughs> but he yeah. was like a method actor he was like a member of the actors gang the actors gang yeah what's that the actors gang is a do they group beat of you up yeah yeah metaphorically <laughs> they beat themselves up but uh yeah it was like james <laughs> dean was in it marlon brando was in it a bunch of people like those traditional method actor guys like basically mm -hmm. the actors who changed acting from being like hello sarah welcome to yeah. the hotel <laughs> like people like having real experiences mm -hmm. basically uh guys who wear floppy beanies and scarves now mm -hmm. uh you have paul newman and all these guys and the actors gang to blame for that actors gang love it for more just like a realistic portrayal of a, a human yeah. instead of like mm -hmm. this vaudevillian. Yeah, it's like the reason that Jared Leto sent like used condoms to his co-stars oh. during Suicide Squad. That's because it's funny. Acting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what the Joker would do. I feel like the Joker would be a pri like, sexually it would be a more private guy. Yeah, you know? yeah, mm -hmm. probably very vanilla. No. Yeah. Yes. No way. The Joker's into some shit, man. <laughs> well, it's always like play. the the most like outgoing people that are like quiet in bed. It's not true. And it's the quiet ones that, that are freaks. Untrue. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> false statement. <laughs> Just never had sex before. <laughs> He's so energetic during the day. Mm -hmm. He's so dynamic yeah. with all of his schemes. He's running all over the place. Mm -hmm. When he gets home, he's probably very tired and does not have the energy for that sort of those sort you're, of acrobatics. You're, you're thinking that he turns it off and is able to <laughs> stop being the Joker at home. He's not. He's the Joker all day. 
He takes his kit car Joker home. Joker at home is like a very like 2007 webcomic where he's like, yeah. I'm crazy. And yeah. then he gets in the door and like has like a robe and, mm-hmm. and it's slippers very funny on. It's die web yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. I'm the Joker, baby. Yeah, I'm the Joker. Looking I'm actually pretty crazy. You know? Danny Franco is the Joker at home. <laughs> Are you going to introduce us? Oh, right. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show. Um <laughs> God, we got get way it together, track. man. I got well, I'm excited because you've been gone apart. for a while. Haven't seen you. This is the first time I've seen you in like a week. I know. And I'm just giddy. Um, so that's James Pumphrey. They hear talking. Say hello, James. Oh, boy. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great intro. It really surprised me. I'm sorry. Yeah. And we also have Joe Weber. Rise up, Slug Nation. No. <laughs> <laughs> and his dog is here. Alfie. Alfie, named after Lily Allen's brother. Mm-hmm. Huh. He's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, which is brings me to my next point. <laughs> my my new car is called uh, Greyjoy. Oh, cool. Because also Alfie Allen played Theon Greyjoy mm-hmm. in Game it, of Thrones. And my car is gray. All right. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. <laughs> 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 and I tried surfing this week, and I'm going tomorrow. That's my new thing. Surfing. We're going to become a surfing podcast. Next week's going to be about Kelly Slater. Kelly Slater, first man to surf on the moon. (laughs) That's right. All right, let's talk about Paul Newman. Paul Leonard Newman was born in Shaker Heights, a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, on January 26th, 1925. His father, Arthur, owned a sporting goods store, but athletics didn't come naturally to Paul. As he said later in life, I always wanted to be a jock. But I had no physical grace. The only thing that I ever found any grace in was an automobile. Suffice to say, one other place Paul managed to find some grace was on stage. His mom, Teresa, was a fan of the arts, and it clearly influenced young Paul. Throughout his teen years, he performed in theater productions across the state. And he briefly studied at Ohio University in 1943 before joining the Navy in the final years of World War II. After a colorblindness test thwarted his hopes of becoming a pilot... 20-year-old Paul trained as a radio man and turret gunner. I wanted to be a pilot, but I couldn't tell the difference between the sky and the sea. (laughs) (laughs) Ups and downs, (laughs) lefts and rights. It's all colors up there. When I went out surfing a couple days ago, it was very foggy. This is so annoying. So, like, (laughs) now, like, the fog and the ocean, there's, like, no horizon. It was crazy looking. I hate surfing, Nolan. Cool. You know, I was so relaxed on my drive over. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, He's got uh, beads in his beard now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Paul was then sent uh, to Hawaii and assigned to an aircraft carrier, the USS Bunker Hill, which at the time was a support vessel in the battle for Okinawa, one of the most gruesome conflicts of the war in the Pacific. As the fighting raged, Paul and his fellow crew were in the air and on the way to combat when their pilot was overwhelmed by an earache and was ordered to return to Bunker Hill. What? Uh, isn't there another pilot that could be like, hey, man, you go sit in the back? You no, know, the other pilot had a tummy ache. <laughs> As fate would have it, the squadron of planes that continued on were attacked in the following days, and many men from Paul's unit died. Upon his return from the war, 24-year-old Paul graduated from Kenyon College in the spring of 1949 with degrees in drama and economics. That summer, he married a 19-year-old actress named Jackie Witt. The two met while doing summer stage work in Ohio and had three children together by 1953. Yeah, this is like a thing. He had three kids with his first wife and then he married uh, his second wife and just sort of like Mm. forgot about 
the other family, which I think happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like famous guys will have like a first family, mm-hmm. and then they'll have like a really publicized second marriage. Yeah. And just sort of like Bruce Jenner, if you know what I mean. <laughs> While Paul loved being a family man, he wasn't ready to give up his acting dream. The year after they married, he studied at Yale, uh, I want to say theater school, probably not drama school. <laughs> he studied be. at Yale Theater School and then moved to New York. It was drama school. To pursue his professional career. His slow but steady success in the Big Apple led to many nights away from his family and would eventually lead to a breaking point in his home life. In 1953, when he was 28 years old, Paul met an actress named Joanne Woodward while they were both understudies on Broadway. But it wasn't until 1957, when they worked together on the film The Long Hot Summer, that they realized that their connection was undeniable. They were married within a year, but Paul had to divorce Jackie before he and Joanne could make it official. Wait, so they got married before he was divorced? No, he got divorced. I mean, you can't do that legally. Quick sidebar, that documentary series that James mentioned, The Last Movie Stars, follows Paul's and Joanne's relationship through the years and details how racing later became part of their lives. With Paul's acting career in full swing, Paul appeared in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth Taylor in 1958, which garnered the first of his 10 Academy Award nominations. Over the next decade, he'd become an A-list star with roles in HUD, The Hustler, and Cool Hand Luke, but the restless Paul felt like he had something more to prove. By 1968, Paul Newman was 43 years old and one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood. But interesting roles were more important to him than massive paychecks, sort of like uh, a Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mud. Mud, yeah. He was like, I'm sick of doing these rom-coms with Kate yeah. Hudson. I want some real meaty parts. Sorry, all we can pay you is mud. <laughs> He shot two films in 1968, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid would become legendary, and the other one, Winning, not so much. (laughs) Winning? (laughs) Ironically, it was the lesser known of the two that changed Paul's life forever. In Winning, Paul plays a struggling race car driver determined to win the Indy 500. He becomes so obsessed that his wife, played by Joanne Woodward, cheats on him with another driver, but it inspires him to win the race and get his girl back at the end. Sort of. Now, winning is no Casablanca, which uh, is a, apparently a good movie. <laughs> I've never Play seen. it again for me, Sam. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday you'll get on that plane. That's Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's not the point. It's a film about racing. Actor Robert Wagner, a.k.a. number two oh. from Austin Powers, was Paul's nemesis <laughs> in the film. and <laughs> Yeah, that's how we know him. Yeah. And when he asked Paul why he chose winning as his next project, the actor replied, I have two other movies I can make a lot more money in, but I've always wanted to see if I could drive a race car. To prepare for their roles, Newman and Wagner practiced at the newly opened Bob Bondurant School of Driving. Hey. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with Bob Bondurant, Bobby B, baby, Bobby B, ba, 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 a Lamar winning driver for Shelby during the 1960s and would eventually work with stars like the racist Clint Eastwood <laughs> and the star god Tom Cruise. <laughs> But the first two thespians he trained were Newman and Wagner. As Paul and number two learned the ropes, <laughs> it became clear to everyone involved that Paul had discovered a new passion. Wagner recalls, I'd get out of the car and be happy to get out. But Paul, he really loved it. 
I think racing was always inside him somewhere. Paul became so skilled that he performed most of his winning racing scenes without the help of a stunt driver. And when he wasn't blasting around the track, he was picking the brains of car folk like Bobby Unser and Tony Holman, who made cameo appearances in the film. That's pretty cool. As I mentioned, 1968 was also the year that Paul starred in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He immediately hit it off with co-star Robert Redford, and a lifelong friendship began. One of the things they had in common was their mutual love of automobiles. Redford let Paul drive his Porsche 904 on set and remarked that Paul had a certain fire in his eyes when he was behind the wheel. He later said that when Paul realized that his passion was racing, he went at it fully. Sundance Film Festival, started by Robert Redford, named after his character Sundance. Oh. 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 Sundance Kid Film Festival. (laughs) Uh, Robert Redford, also known for Redford's flavored mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) That's just aioli. (laughs) No, their their tagline is like, it's not an aioli. (laughs) (laughs) Not your grandma's aioli. It's a flavored mayonnaise. (laughs) Keep that fancy shit out of here. This is a mayo. This ain't French. (laughs) Well, I think mayonnaise is a French word. This is all on the jar. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now, as you might imagine, movie studios didn't exactly like the idea of Paul racing cars at 200 miles an hour. But by the 1970s, he was such a box office draw that they couldn't stop him. As Adam Carolla, <laughs> that's right, that Adam Carolla, director slash producer of the 2000... inventor of the Corolla? <laughs> producer, the 2017 documentary winning The Racing Life of Paul Newman said, quote... Producers would say, we want to start a movie in March. And Paul would say, no, that's the runoffs in Atlanta. Eh? Uh, we can start in June. Because he was Paul Newman, they'd be like, ah, okay. <laughs> a little Norm MacDonald in there. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, the first podcast I was ever on was was uh, Adam Carolla's podcast. Whoa. But he was out of town. So I guest hosted it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> With Matt Walsh. Oh, nice. So I've been on Adam Carolla's podcast, but he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he had a bunch of, like, sick cars in the back of his studio. 
That's that man show money. It's got like mm-hmm. a Mira and all this other stuff. A yeah, lot of the, Paul Newman's cars. This was all like, yeah, Dotson. So I assume there was a Paul Newman car in there. Paul fully committed to racing in 1971 at the tender age of 46. There's still time for me. There is. Like any other rich guy, he could have entered high-profile pro-am events as a gentleman driver, but Paul didn't want special treatment. He wanted to learn. So Paul began his professional training at Lime Rock Speedway, which wasn't far from his home in Westport, Connecticut. Champion driver Sam Posey was one of Paul's teachers who later said, quote, He was terrible at first. <laughs> But also that Paul constantly practiced and asked questions. Dotson team owner and Paul's soon-to-be racing boss, Bob Sharp, was also at Lime Rock and saw a unique focus in Paul. I think the movie concentration helped his racing concentration. <laughs> when, James, when you were on set, did you ever get, get into the movie concentration? No. No? <laughs> That's why I'm on YouTube now. I was an awful actor. You can check it. You can see. No, you were good. No, there's movies with me in it. You can look. <laughs> I'm not good at it. You watch Awful Nice or The High Road or Mr. Intangibles, which later became Bad Fan. Uh, There's like a 10-year stretch where everything was bad something. Yeah, bad Santa, bad, bad boyfriend, bad, bad internet. Two essential attributes for any successful race car driver are intense preparation and laser-sharp focus. Fortunately, Paul had honed those exact skills during his acting career. When Paul accepted a film offer, he gathered all possible research on his character and obsessively rehearsed. He later said, quote, The one thing you learn with acting is to go out there and make mistakes. In order to do it right, you have to do it wrong. And the same thing is true for racing. After a few months of training, Redford visited Paul at Lime Rock and saw how much of an obsession racing had truly become for Paul. He became so boring, Redford <laughs> joked. Because that's all he'd talk about. I'd say, so, how are you doing? And he'd say, well, let me tell you about this car. It started to drive me crazy. Just just uh, swap car for a surfboard. <laughs> yeah, that's Nolan I've now. mentioned surfing twice. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> okay, Mr. Jetski. To raz Paul's, what they call me. <laughs> to raz Paul's childlike excitement for automobiles, Robert Redford ordered a crushed car from a salvage yard and had it wrapped like a present and delivered to Newman's back porch. A few weeks went by and Redford received a gift in return. The same car, except smashed into a dense chunk of metal. As a final volley, Redford intentionally hired a not-so-talented abstract sculptor to work on the cube junk then delivered it back to Newman's home, this time in his garden. Despite frequently seeing each other during the charade, Redford laughs, quote, We never spoke about it in person. <laughs> That's really funny, though. It is very funny. That's a rich guy, Joe. A cube car with a little sculpture on top would be kind of sick to have in your garden. Mm. I When you were reading that, I was like, I bet no one would actually like that. No one would. I helped, I've mentioned it on this podcast, but Joe and I helped Nolan move. Uh, yeah. He now lives with his girlfriend, so I think he has different furniture. But all of Nolan's furniture looks like they were from a haunted hospital. <laughs> yeah, lots, so much patina. Yeah, yeah. He, he got it all from a Trent Reznor garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw Jonathan Davis there too. It was pretty sick. Um, the pranks didn't end there. Mario Andretti and Paul's decades-long friendship would also see its fair share of shenanigans. They would make wagers, and when Andretti won, Newman found obnoxiously creative ways to pay his debts. As Andretti recalls, One time I got a couple of million Russian rubles. Another time he FedExed a $2 check. <laughs> and then, years later, 
James Bumphrey saw me in my oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun thing you can do, and you don't have to be rich. See him in his underpants? No, <laughs> FedEx a two dollar check. Yeah, I have a bet that I made in 2017 with a friend. He bet me forty five thousand dollars that a baseball game would end six to nine, and it he was really close. It was six to eight, but. I told him he could pay me $1 a year for the next 45,000 years. <laughs> yeah. So every July 8th, he Venmos me $1. That's, great, That's awesome. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. I think your friends shouldn't make bets they can't pay. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Newman's racing career began in 1972 when he strapped into a Datsun 510B sedan for Bob Sharp Racing. Despite using the name P.L. Newman... To avoid attention, <laughs> genius. Fans and paparazzi were everywhere. Sharp knew that the other drivers would be gunning for Paul in particular. You've got a big bullseye on your back, Sharp quipped. Fellow driver John Morton agreed. If you race with someone like Paul Newman, you want to beat them because you figure they've been lucky enough. <laughs> They're out there pretending to be a guy, and everyone's like, ooh, this guy's so good at pretending to be a guy. Well, let's see how good you are racing cars, stupid. <laughs> Predictably, Paul's first years were rough, as late finishes, crashes, or retirements were all too frequent. But he was determined to get better and said, I'm a slow study, and I know it's going to take me a while, but you can't quit something just because you're, they're laughing at you. Especially comedy. Especially comedy, yeah, keep going. By starting his career with those boxy Dotsons, Paul gained the respect of his racing peers because he was starting out like anyone else trying to climb the ranks. PL was also a major factor in historic growth for the Japanese brand by appearing in commercials and sponsorship events. This is later, but they actually had an R31 Skyline Paul Newman edition. That's sick. Yeah, it had a four-banger in it. Wow, I want one. Get me one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Paul's efforts finally paid off when at the 1976 Sports Car Club of America runoffs in Atlanta, he drove a Triumph TR6 to the first of four career SCCA national championships. Wow. He was 51. Whoa. Soon after, he teamed up with Bill Freeman to form Newman Freeman Racing. Not only did they run the team, but the two men raced together. One of their first exploits was the 12 Hours of Sebring the next season, where they drove a white and pink 1974 Porsche 911S sponsored by Beverly Porsche Audi. That's sick. Within two years, Newman Freeman took home the Can-Am Team Championship trophy. Hell yeah, dude. However, personal tragedy struck Paul in 1978 when his only son, 28-year-old Scott, died of a drug overdose after a lifelong struggle with addiction. Paul and Scott's mother, Jackie, were devastated. Scott had his own blossoming career as an actor and often joined his father at the racetrack. But despite their very close relationship, it's difficult to imagine what it was like to live in the towering shadow of Paul Newman. Paul even admitted to film director Sidney Pollack, I don't think I'd want to be my own son. Tragically, Scott once told a family friend, it's hell being his son, you know? I don't have his blue eyes. I don't have his talent. I don't have his luck. I don't have anything. That's me. Sheesh. That's rough. I'm scared that that's how my son's going to feel. Chellin? Chellin, yeah. My son Chellin. I don't have his brown eyes. I don't have his brown <laughs> yeah. eyes. I don't have his red face. <laughs> <laughs> 
Paul was naturally heartbroken by Scott's death, but racing helped him cope with the devastating loss. Rather than stepping away from the sport, Paul insisted on practicing five days a week. Adam Carolla summed it up. When his son died, I don't think he wanted to sit around and think about it. He just wanted to get in the car and think about uh, nothing but the next corner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think women should be allowed to vote. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh Adam, Adam, Adam. In 1979, 54-year-old Paul took his shot at the fabled 24 Hours of Le Mans. Behind the wheel of Moby Dick, the nickname for their Porsche oh, 935. That's a very famous race car. That's that real long 911. Yeah, with the big whale tail and everything. Big whale tail, yeah. yeah. Uh, had a spool rear end, basically locked. Wow. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, like... You know, there's like limited slip differentials, mm -hmm. but then there's a spool differential is basi basically locked. Like it's like, like how low cars differential is welded together. Yeah, it's not welded together, but it like functionally how it's designed. Does that have any give? No. Oh, <laughs> they're usually not usually, great for parking lots. They're great. Yeah, they're usually like for like drag cars have them. Oh, um, but I'm not really sure why they had this on the Porsche. Paul, team owner Dick Barber, and F1 racer Rolf Stommelin drove in one-hour shifts in what would prove to be a truly historic race. As we mentioned in the opening, the day started out clear and beautiful, but as evening fell, the weather turned, consuming the track with rain and fog for most of the night. The effects of the miserable conditions were evident by the next afternoon. 55 cars started the race, and only 22 finished. Paul's team, however, was still grappling for the lead when they were forced to take an extended pit stop in the 23rd hour to chisel a bolt off the front left tire. Despite the late bad luck, Newman and company won their class and claimed second place overall. Paul said it was the most rewarding race of his career. Uh, you think? Like winning Le Mans in your class and getting second overall? That's like if Chris Pratt went and, like, <laughs> won Monaco. Yeah, that's true. It is like that. <laughs> it is it is that would probably be more impressive though. yeah yeah probably yeah unfortunately paul's glory at Le Mans was tarnished by the most intense harassment from press and paparazzi he had ever experienced as a racer not only did photographers literally climb the outside walls of paul's rented house but one reporter even accosted him during that intense 23rd hour pit stop oh that would bug me so much yeah dude as a result of the relentless harassment, Paul never returned to Le Mans, but his impressive performance was more than enough to gain admiration from his peers. He could have came back as Larry Newman. <laughs> I would change my last name. <laughs> Larry New Girl. <laughs> yeah, Larry New Girl. <laughs> Zoe New Girl. <laughs> Dick Barber emphasized the respect Paul earned with the impressive finish, saying, quote, All the drivers from around <laughs> the world really developed incredible respect for Paul in that he was one of them. They all knew how difficult winning at Le Mans was. Most of them had never won it. So what do we say about that, bro, <laughs> I got a swim meet coming up. <laughs> And I got to get rid of all this. <laughs> by the early 80s, the Cayman circuit was dominated by Lola and their cigar-chomping team owner, Carl Haas. No relation to Gene Haas. Haas not only had money to burn, 
He was also the national distributor for Lola Cars and Hewland Gearboxes. Haas admired PL's commitment to the sport and decided to make him an offer to run a team together in late 1982. By Paul's account, Carl called and said, how would you like to go IndyCar racing? And smoke started coming out of my ears. I said, are you nuts? I shouldn't even be listening to this invitation. Then he said, what if I could get Mario Andretti to drive? And I said, where would you like to meet? I still had smoke coming out of my ears at that point. And I went to the doctor. And he was like, you smoking backwards, buddy. <laughs> Within a few months, the two formed Newman Haas Racing and found immediate success in the Kart Open Wheel Series. Andretti won the 1984 championship and would go on to spend 12 years driving for the team. Newman Haas racked up over 100 IndyCar race wins during their partnership. Wow, Jesus. That's a lot. That's a successful team. Other drivers who won championships for the team include Mario Andretti's son, Michael, in 1991, Nigel Mansell in 93, and a wicked four-year run of dominance in the mid-2000s by Sebastian Bourdais. Ironically, the only major race Paul Newman's team failed to win was the Indianapolis 500, although they finished second twice. It shouldn't come as a surprise that Paul's personal car collection was as unique as the man himself. Rather than flashy sports cars, Paul loved Q cars, as they're known to the Brits, which are normal-looking vehicles that essentially have a jet engine under the hood, but not, not literally. David Letterman was also a fan of Q cars, and he even once received a phone call from Paul. Quote, uh, This is a story that Letterman told on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with famous everyman Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you want to buy a monkey? You got any gum? Paul said it's a custom Volvo 960 station wagon, okay, but it's different. He's going to take a small block Ford V8 racing engine, strip out the transmission and suspension, then supercharge it. It was like an atomic furnace under the hood. It would go 170 miles per hour, and underneath the exhaust system would glow bright orange. Paul also had an insane Volkswagen Bug convertible, which had a Holman Moody Ford racing V8 that was intended for cars like the GT40. Nope, no thanks. <laughs> it's, it's insane. <laughs> Marty Andretti said, quote, Paul just wanted to be totally incognito, if you will, but if you recognize him, it was time for him to open somebody's eyes. That's awesome. And then, later on, James Pumphrey saw me in my underpants. <laughs> Adam Carolla describes himself as the unofficial Paul Newman racing curator and has been collecting Paul-related machines and memorabilia for nearly 20 years. He first bought a 1972 Datsun 610 that had been raced by Bob Sharp and has since gone on to build an arsenal of cars and collectibles with hopes of opening a Paul Newman Racing Museum someday. He's got a lot of them. He does. For his 70th birthday... It's that love line money. It's that love line money. It's that man show money. It's that podcast. He's also a contractor. Oh, yeah. Well, he was a contractor. He was a contractor. He was a contractor like Harrison Ford was a carpenter. (laughs) Don't get me started. What does that mean? Harrison Ford was a carpenter. So he was. So he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> For his 70th birthday, Paramount Pictures gifted Paul a sponsored ride in the 1995 Rolex 24 Whoa. at Daytona. That's a sick gift. That's a sick gift. <laughs> but he's 70. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. Mark Martin, hey. Tommy Kendall... 
and Michael Brockman joined PL in the number 70 because of his age, DTS one <laughs> class Ford Mustang, and the boys finished boys more like men finished third overall and won their class. This wow. made Paul the oldest winner in a major sanctioned race, a record that he holds to this day. Wait, so it was a four seater. <laughs> 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 Paul went back to. I think there should be that racing. should be yeah like, yeah. yeah that should be a class of racing where like. You, it's an endurance race. Yeah, yeah. But, but you, you all have, have like, to ride in the yeah, car. Yeah, you have three time. drivers, yeah. and you all have to ride in the car. That's the awesome. And they all like shift their weight depending on sure. the turns. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Paul went back to Daytona a decade later. This time, he was driving a number eighty. Because of his age, Crawford Ford belonging to Newman Haas Racing. If you didn't notice this pattern already, Paul loved to flex his age by literally wearing it on his car. It's pretty funny. It's like with my shoe size. It corresponded to the grade I was in oh, nice. up until 11th grade uh -huh. or uh, 12th grade. And then I was really like 11 and a half, mm -hmm. but I would buy 12s because I wanted it to be true. Do you still bit. buy 12s? No, I buy 11 and a half. Damn, we could trade shoes. <laughs> we still can. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> In 2007, yep, that makes him 82 years old. Paul drove a 700 horsepower GT1 class Chevrolet Chorvette. <laughs> For his last race at the Watkins Glen and claimed fourth place. That's wild. That's wild. Most 82-year-olds can't even eat by themselves. Yeah, but if you think about it, he had only been racing for like 42 years at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, baby, infancy. Uh, Joe, you used to work at a nursing home. Yeah. Were any of those 82-year-olds championship race car drivers? No, but we did have an Oscar winner. The really? guy who did the... Uh, prosthetics on Planet of the Apes and really? Amadeus. Wow. wow. Dick Smith. Great name. Uh, a Dick Smith is also works at <laughs> And it was around this time that Paul began to appear skinnier than his already slight 165 pound frame. That's not slight. I weigh 120. <laughs> By the summer of 2008, he was often questioned about his health, but he smiled and said that he was only being treated for athlete's foot and hair loss. <laughs> On September 26, 2008, Paul Newman died of lung cancer in his Westport, Connecticut home. Ever the private man, Paul didn't want the masses to know he'd been suffering and instead lived out his final months as fully as possible, which included one last run at Lime Rock only a month before he died. Wow. Behind the wheel of his GT1 Corvette, the track shut down for two hours so he could take the final laps of his life. Wow. Uh -huh. That's the way you want to live, though. You know, it's like, get after it, live for yourself. And that. Yeah, yeah, Chadwick Boseman, mm -hmm. Virgil Abloh. Mm -hmm. Just die out of nowhere. <laughs> there have been a million stories written about Paul Newman, and today we've learned why there will probably be a million more. The man had talent, charisma, and good looks for days, let's be honest. But what truly set him apart was his authenticity and his humility. What very may well have been the most lasting part of Paul Newman's legacy will be his generosity. Against the advice of his agents, friends, pretty much everyone except his wife Joanne, Paul created his charity organization, Newman's Own, in 1982. He even made sure that 100% of the profits continued to go to charity after his death. 
And as of this recording, all that salad dressing and pasta sauce has generated over $550 million for children's charities around the world. And Oreos that don't taste that good. Yeah, I've never really ventured past like the the sauce accoutrement. The dressing is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. If you're a salad fan, let me tell you, Paul Newman, Newman's own, <laughs> is one of the best you can get. You don't even have to shake it up. Yeah, you do. I was about to say, shake it pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> No, because first you get the oil, and then towards the end of the bottle, you start getting that vinegar, and it's great. The top is really round, and the bottom is very sharp. <laughs> they, get, they give you two sauces in one bottle. Yeah. <laughs> the top is yucky. It kind of makes you poop too much. <laughs> the bottom is very flavorful. <laughs> Throughout his life, Paul was at the forefront of social issues, passionately fighting for the rights of minorities and women at a time when it was far from fashionable. He was such a vocal opponent of Vietnam-era American politics that he was placed 19th on Tricky Dick Nixon's enemies list, something Paul claimed was his greatest accomplishment. Wait. Fuck yeah, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. He was a big opposer of the Vietnam War. Like, he marched in the Million Man March. Wow. He was a big uh, advocate for civil rights. Uh, then in 1988, Paul founded the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp in Ashford, Connecticut, where, for no charge, nearly 15,000 seriously ill children visit year-round and get the opportunity to kick back, relax, and raise a little hell, as Paul Aww. described. Hole in the Wall Gang was the name of the uh, gang in Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Camp. Oh. So, Robert Redford started a film festival named after his character. Paul Newman started a camp named after their gang. Uh, I think it's safe to say that those guys had a pretty good time on set. <laughs> <laughs> Even at the track, Paul was determined to break barriers. Willie T. Ribs, the first black driver to compete in the Indy 500, reflects on how Paul vouched for him to get his first seat in the SCCA. Quote, It was the day before Thanksgiving and I got a call from PL. It changed everything. What's more, Ribs didn't even drive for Paul. He raced for his competitor, Trans Am. Tears in his eyes, Ribs said, quote, if it wasn't for Paul, I never would have been a professional. Paul Newman's automotive achievements over the years are remarkable, to say the least. For anyone to attempt a racing career takes major cojones, but to start as a novice at the age of 46 and go on to win is truly wild. It also helps you have a bunch of money. A bunch from, of money, and you're the coolest guy on the planet, yeah, and, and everyone, everyone wants, wants to hang, to out, hang out with you. Out. Yeah. So like helps. a lot of this is like race car drivers are like, fuck yeah, I'll hang out with Paul Newman. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's why Brian Cranston gets to hang out with Max for stopping all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of like a. They're like best friends. Yeah. <laughs> Cranston and Verstappen. <laughs> Everyone knows that name, that combo. But for real though, he became an elite driver and Max in the middle. One and had one of the most. <laughs> <laughs> for real though, he became an elite driver and one of the most successful team owners in racing history. And many who witnessed Paul's racing career said that he he never acted. He could have had an equally legendary career as a driver. But Paul was more than that. Perhaps he can best be summed up by Bob Sharp, who said, quote, We love Paul for Paul, not because he was an actor. He was a great human being. There you go. Yeah, Paul Newman's one of the coolest guys to ever grace the planet. Sick actor. Super handsome. Uh, philanthropist. Big charity guy and race car driver. He's, like, as cool as Steve McQueen, but, like, way nicer. Way nicer, way cooler, yeah. Yeah. He's, like, the nice Steve McQueen. Yeah. Not that I've heard McQueen was mean. No, I just, I no, think he's, I like. No, I think he was. Oh, really? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Did Cranston say that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm responsible for a Steve McQueen rumor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've got some fan mail this week. This one's from Birapar. Hey, Donut Media team. I was listening to the podcast while trying to stay awake at work, and I heard Jeremiah say how he gets messages from people about how race engineering isn't really a degree that exists. I graduated from IUPUI in Indianapolis <laughs> as an ME, which I assume is mechanical engineering. But I do know it's the only university in the country that offers an accredited motorsports engineering degree. That's sick. All right, so... That's, that's dope. I just want to let you know in case you'd like to share that with other listeners who might be interested in the field. Dude, that's awesome. That's Appreciate awesome. all We're your all going to quit our jobs so and go get mechanical engineering degrees yeah, so, in motorsports. Yeah, so IUPUI in Indianapolis, motorsports engineering degree. I'm going to quit. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to too. I'm yeah. transferring. Do you think my donut credits will be honored <laughs> at IUPUI? Oh, so. Has this been a school the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Wait, you guys don't pay tuition? <laughs> I got an on legacy hall. Okay, uh, that, that so thank you for uh, thank you for your email, Bear Apart. That's awesome. Oh, he says P.S. Currently itching for a new episode of DRS. DRS nice. is another podcast on the Donut Podcast Network, hosted by Nolan Sykes and Alanis King and Elizabeth Blackstock. Uh, we record we release an episode every Wednesday after a race weekend in Formula One. It's like a Formula One podcast if you're not a snooty snooter. Please follow my boys. Follow James Pumphrey at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G Weber. Please follow me. I'm trying to get verified. Let's act. Yeah. Let's try, let's let's juice Joe's numbers here. Like for real, go follow Joe. He's at 12k right now. We need to get him up to like 100. I do like yeah, funny car memes. He does funny car memes. He posts dog pics. Posts dog, dog pics. pics. Oh, follow me. I'm on TikTok now. A big TikTok guy. Kentucky Cobra. Yeah. Uh, I I I'm good at it. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> One of my TikToks got a million views. That's wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes on everything. I don't really know what I post about, to be hot honest. Hot takes. Just, yeah, just like. Hot takes. Hot takes. No. If you want the hottest surfing content on the planet, Here's follow my Nolan hot take. at Nolan J. Sykes. Like, surfing should be chill, okay? Here's my hot take. I got totally pitted this morning. <laughs> I never felt better. <laughs> my adrenal gland is prime all right all right uh thank you very much for listening big thank you to our producers this week christina felsky and gavin kinzel as always and our writer luke clomping oh yeah luke clomping clomp the yard clomp the yard clomp the yard luke tall as shit all right see you later dude <laughs>
bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.